listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. I want to jump into this. Um, again, when, when I see a lot of people writing in to me, good morning, uh, Carrie, good morning, everybody. When I see a lot of people writing in saying, hey, I just got a bad report. I just heard this from the doctor. This is what's going on in our family. You know, you, you start to see these bad reports coming in. Um, you know, it sparks in my spirit. You know, what do you do when you receive a bad report? What do you do? What, and, and I don't just mean like, what should you do uh, in the natural? I mean, biblically, is there a prescription what should we do when we receive a bad report uh, naturally? And it doesn't matter what kind it is either. I don't care if it's a, um, a physical report you got from the doctor's office. It could be something that you know, is going on in your mind. It could be something with your family. I know there's multiple people that are dealing with issues in their family, and it seems like things aren't getting better, but they're getting worse. And so what do you do when you get another report? Oh, my, my grandchild did this. My, my son or my daughter did this. My, whatever, my, my brother, my sister uh, did this. How do you respond when you receive that kind of a bad report? And I want to walk you through today. I want to walk you through in case nobody's ever taught you this. I want to walk you through from the biblical perspective, five things that should be just kind of a habitual response Anytime you get a bad report, five things that should be a habitual response whenever you get a bad report. And, and I, I really do want you to make notes on this because you'll use these for the rest of your life as a Christian. Every time the enemy tries to attack, you will use these five things for the rest of your life. You can just set it in stone. You can, it's, it's one of those things you can set it and forget it. You don't have to be like, now that it's 2029, uh, what new tactics does God have? This is, no, it's, these are going to be the methods, the five things that you'll use for the rest of your Christian life, no matter what the enemy tries to do in attacking you. And so I want to I wanna deal with that. So what are we going to do? We're going to look at some people in the Bible that got some bad reports and see how they responded or how even Jesus or a prophet or an apostle told them to respond. And that's what we're looking at. That's going to be our uh, foundation for how we should respond if the enemy tries to attack. So number one, I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter five, if you have your Bible. If not, I'll read it for you. But Mark chapter five is where we're going to begin this list today because um, it's definitely foundational. Now, uh, the other four may not be in, in order of importance or in order of uh, how you should perform them, but I believe the first one is. I believe the first one is. Um, and that's why I want to start with that. Mark chapter 5, really interesting chapter of the Bible. Jesus um, is approached by a man named Jairus who asks him to come to his house and pray for his daughter, heal his daughter who is sick. And of course, if you read the story, you'll find that Jesus agrees to go. And as he's going, that woman who has an issue of blood presses through the crowd, touches the hem of his garment. She's made whole. 
It's kind of like a, a miracle story tucked inside of a miracle story. And so, good morning, Ben, love you. And so, uh, as my dad's preached it for years, on the way to heal somebody, Jesus healed somebody. Amen. On the way to heal somebody, Jesus healed somebody. And so, that story comes to an end. She gets her healing. But now Jesus continues on toward uh, Jairus' house. He's walking with Jairus. And um, verse 35 picks back up on Jairus' story. And the Bible says, while Jesus was still speaking... There came, this is uh, Mark 5, 35 is where I'm starting. Mark 5, 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter's dead. Don't trouble the teacher any further. Why would you trouble him any further? Okay, so there it is. Inciting incident, bad report. Bad report. See, because when he went to get Jesus, she was just sick. She was just sick. And now they're reporting she's dead. She's dead. Why would you trouble the teacher any further? Meaning, let him go back to his business. He doesn't need to come now. Well, that, that shows a couple of things, doesn't it? It shows, number one, that the people coming from Jairus' house thought death was too much for the master. Isn't that interesting? Their faith was limited because while she was still sick, they were all cool with him going to get Jesus to come back and heal the girl. But once she died, that's where their faith ended. Oh, it's too much now. Death is too much for the master. So don't bother him any further. Don't, don't trouble the master any further. But notice, I wanna give you now Jesus' response. This is foundational, this is number one. Are you ready? Jesus responds, verse 36. This is what you should underline, highlight, keep it in your Bible, uh, but overhearing what they said, keep it in your Bible, like what's the, you're going to tear it out of your Bible? No. I mean, underline it, highlight it, mark it in your Bible. Um, overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, you ready? Do not fear. There's number one. There's number one. Do not fear. Put it in the comments, put it in your notes, put it in your Bible. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. That's the first thing that you have to set in stone when the enemy tries to attack you, when he tries to come against your family. Number one, do not fear. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. It's easy to make choices based upon what you see in the natural, based upon what you hear, a, a natural report, something you can touch, sense, taste, feel, you know, natural senses. Do not fear. That's foundational. Well, you say, why? Why is it foundational? The reason is because what you allow in will start to influence what you then do. What you allow in will influence what you do. Let me say that again. What you allow into you, into your mind, into your heart, okay? Let me say that again. What you allow into your mind and into your heart will then determine what you do. And so there are plenty of people, right? Plenty of people motivated by fear. No, no question about that. We've seen that over the last three years in spades. Tons of people motivated by fear. Well, why? They allowed it in. 
So they allowed fear to rule their thought life. They allowed fear to rule their heart. They believed and trusted in the report that brings fear. So what did it do? It then determined the way they act in their normal life. Well, because I'm in fear, I'm going to go do this. Oh, because I'm afraid of what's happening around me, I'm going to do this, say this, go here, right? And Jesus said, Jesus is the one who taught, out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth will speak. Out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth will speak. So if we allow fear and the report of fear to fill our hearts, then what's going to happen? It's actually going to define the words that then come out of our mouths. And then what's going to happen? We'll have a report of fear. We'll have a report of fear. I'll flip back from this story uh, quickly because we're, we're talking about this to um, the book of Numbers. And you remember, we've talked about this at length, that... Um, the, the, the 12 spies went into the promised land, and what did they do? They got, according to them, a bad report. This is the land God gave us, but look, there's giants in it. They're far bigger than we, than we are. Masters of war. I mean, these guys, we're nothing. We're, we're grasshoppers in their sight. Then that wasn't just the problem, was it? I want you to see this um, because... In Numbers chapter 13, it wasn't just that the giants were big, was it? That wasn't the problem. It's that uh, they said, well, we are grasshoppers. We're like grasshoppers in their sight, sight of the giants. But here was the real problem. You ready for this? The Bible says in Numbers 13, I'll start in verse 32. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report. There it is, a bad report of the land that they'd spied out saying, the land through which we've gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. It devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are great, are of great height. They're massive people, massive. Look, now look at verse 33. Here's where you see the shift. This is what changed in, in those who had a bad report. You ready? And there we saw the Nephilim the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, giants. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. You see that? Verse 33 is integral to this point. We seemed to ourselves. Welcome, Rachel, from L.A. We seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. You know what it means? It wasn't just in their eyes. Because look at the story of David and Goliath. Did, did David go out onto the battlefield with Goliath and say, like, I'm not enough. I'm insignificant. I'm just a little boy in the eyes of Goliath. No. That's what Goliath thought, but that's not what David thought, is it? That's not what David thought. David didn't look at himself and say, I'm just unable to do this because he's so big and I'm so small and he's a warrior and I'm a shepherd. He didn't say that. He said, this very day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will cut off your head and I will feed your flesh to the birds of the air. Didn't sound to me like David thought he was not enough for what he was going through. 
Oh, I'm just small and he's so big. That's what they're saying in Numbers 13. We're so small. And, and it's not just that maybe they think we're small, because that's fine. Your enemy can think whatever he wants. Goliath can think whatever he wants. Am I a dog that you've sent out this little boy to fight me? He can think whatever he wants, but David didn't get up and say, yes, you know, I'm small like a dog and I don't have the ability. I'm not like you. And no, David said, no, let me tell you what's going to happen. I'll cut your head off. I'll feed your flesh to the birds of the air this very day. So David didn't have a view of himself as though he were too small, as though he were insignificant, did he? And that's how we need to be. He didn't fear Goliath. Didn't fear Goliath. What's the bad report? They've sent their champion to the front line. They've sent their champion who's mocking the God of Israel and calling for someone to fight against him. David didn't fear for one second. But look at this. And here these people are greatly afraid of Numbers 13. We're not just like grasshoppers in their sight. We are like grasshoppers in our own sight. In our own sight. You know what that means? That fear... Fear had caused them to view themselves in a way that God's not called them to view themselves. He told them, it's already your land. I've already given it to you. In fact, as I've pointed out many times before, many times, did you realize God never one time mentioned the fact that there were giants in the land? Never mentioned it. He never said, now listen, I'm giving you this land, but there, it's filled with giants just so that you know. He didn't say it. He said, I'm, I've given you the land, go take it. They found out that there were giants who truly were what? Trespassing on their property. Because the moment God gave it to them, it was theirs. Not the giants, it was theirs. And I love, I love the, um, the fire in Joshua and Caleb. And they're like, let's go at once. Because we're well able to take the land. If you want to mark that in your Bible... Uh, it's Numbers 13.30. That's a report of faith right there. Let's go up at once and occupy it. Okay? So the people were afraid, but Joshua and Caleb were not afraid. David was not afraid. Jesus was not afraid. So what was the instruction there? Baseline instruction. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. That's your, that's your baseline instruction. Oh, I got, I, got a, I got a bad report. All right, don't be afraid. Do not fear. That's your first instruction. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. Hallelujah. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Don't allow that to fill your heart and then start defining what you say and defining what you do. And def No, your expectations are now defined by fear and the bad report you got. No, in Jesus' name, no. In Jesus' name, no. I will not be afraid. Well, what's the second thing Jesus says? He says, in, uh, back to Mark chapter 5 and verse 36, do not fear, only believe. Only believe. What does that mean? Have faith. Do not fear, only believe. Only believe. You know, it's sad. There is that kind of... Um, little place of neutral in there. That's why he say both things. You not only have to not be afraid, you got to have faith. You say, oh, aren't you in one or the other? Not really. Not really. Because th there might be people 
that are going through life, they're not really afraid or they're not in fear that bad things are going to happen, but they also aren't in faith that good things are going to happen. They may not be walking around afraid, speaking fear, acting out of fear, living by fear. They may not be doing that, but they also don't have any expectation by faith that God's going to perform good things. So what's number two? You don't just not fear. You got to have faith. Have faith. Only believe. Only believe. And, And here's the thing that I would say to you when it comes to this. When I say only believe, when Jesus said only believe, he's speaking of faith, obviously. Have faith. Have faith. But remember what James said. James wrote, faith without works is dead, being alone. So you can't have faith without it producing results. You can't have faith without it producing uh, actions that you take. I'm talking about action, not, not results like your harvest or your manifestation. I'm talking about things you do. If I've got faith, I'm going to do something. Faith provokes action. Put that in the comments. That'll help you to remember. Faith provokes action. If I have faith, it should make me take an action. Faith provokes action. See, and I go back to, I'm, I'm bouncing back and forth between the, uh, the Mark passage and the Numbers passage, but, but one of the things that I want you to see that it's very sad, though Joshua and Caleb believed, the others didn't. And so the Bible says that they brought back to the congregation an evil report, an evil report. That's very sad. And I always, I read that in the King James and I used to wonder why, why is it an evil report? Why is it considered an evil report? Well, the reason it's considered an evil report is because it contradicts God's word. That's why it's evil. Anything that contradicts God's word is evil. Anything that contradicts God's word is evil. Why was uh, the report that Joshua and Caleb gave pleasing to God and the report that the other 10 gave displeasing to God? Because Joshua and Caleb, look what they said. Notice, not only were they not afraid, but number two, they had faith. Joshua and Caleb had faith. They saw the bad report in the natural realm, but what did they do instead? Again, Numbers 13.30. Numbers 13.30. They quieted the people. They quieted the people. Why did they have to quiet the people? Because the other 10 had just given a bad report. Now the people are, oh my God, can you believe, I can't believe this. You know what's going on? No, quiet down and listen to what we have to say. Why? Because now the people are already being amped up by this report of fear. Already, the congregation's hearing this. Are you kidding me? There's giants in the land. They're men of war. They're, they're way bigger than we are. There's no way we're going to take this land. Who knows what people are saying? So Joshua and Caleb had to quiet the crowd down. Be quiet and listen to what we're about to say. Verse 30, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, notice this, and said, and said, and said. So if I've got faith, it should produce an action. 
What, what action did it produce in Caleb and Joshua? That they spoke something by faith. They spoke something by faith. What did they speak? They said what God was saying. In other words, they spoke God's word. God told them it's already yours. Go and take it. Go and occupy it. So what did they do? Their faith, not their fear, they didn't have fear. Their faith provoked them to speak God's word, to say what God said. And notice what they said. Let us go up at once and occupy it. For we are what? Well able. Glory to God. We are well able to overcome it. There it is. That's faith. Oh, didn't you see how big they are? I saw how big they are. Didn't you see how many there are? I saw how many there are. Didn't you see the size difference between us and them? I saw it. Let's go right now. We are well able to take this land, to overcome this land. We will occupy it. He said, let's wait until we've trained. You know, what we need is we need a special training regimen so that we understand how, how to fight against giants. So if we could, you know, if we could just get a, a giant training, he didn't do this. He said, let's go right now. The way we are right now, as God's called us to be, we're well able to take the land, to occupy it, to overcome them. Faith doesn't want to delay. Faith wants to act right now. Why? Because faith is so sure of God's word that faith wants to act right now. Only believe. Faith provokes action. So, what action? Is this really number two? Have faith. Speak the word of God. That's what I'm telling you. Speak the word of God. Speak the word of God. That's what faith produces. And here's really how it comes together. You can't speak what you don't know. You can't speak what you don't know. Here's why it's so vital that you fill yourself with God's word and understand that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There it is. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So it's not like you won't have bad reports try to come at you. It's that if you've sufficiently filled yourself with God's word and made yourself good ground, see, uh, we, t we talk about the parable of the sower. And if you've read the parable of the sower, you know that the sower is sowing what? The word of God. Jesus said the sower sows the word. And the word falls on four types of ground. There's four types of ground. There's the footpath, right? There is rocky ground. There's thorny ground. There's good ground. And see, even that thorny ground, even though it comes in, and receives the seed of the word, as it's starting to spring up and produce a harvest, the thorns, they choke out the word of God. But what are the thorns? The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. You see that? So that's exactly what we're talking about right now. Because the bad reports you may get are considered the cares of this world that try to hang on your shoulders. The cares of this world. The things that are going on in the natural realm. But did you see the economy? But did you see the government? But did you see the doctor's report? But did you see my family? But did you see what's going on? The cares of this world, they try to drape themselves over your shoulders and bring a spirit of heaviness onto you. So that if you receive that, now I believe that over God's word. But no, that's not what I'm going to do. 
I'm going to be the good ground, the one that when I hear the word, I believe and receive it in Jesus' name. I believe and receive it in Jesus' name. When the word of God comes to me, I refuse to let cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches, being shallow in the kingdom, any of those things. I refuse not understand it. I refuse to let those things steal from me God's word that has come to me. So now that I've got fuel in my tank, I've got fuel in my tank so that if I get a bad report, guess what? Number one, I'm not going to be afraid. Number two, I've got something to say when the bad report comes. I got something to say about it. Amen. In fact, put it in there in the comments. I've got fuel in my tank. What's up, Erica? I've got fuel in my tank. Praise the Lord. I've got fuel in my tank. I'm not afraid at all. But number two, I've got faith because I've heard the word, heard the word, heard the word. But now I'm going to speak the word. I can't speak what I don't have. That's why it's so dangerous. So dangerous. Let, let, let me mark this, this point here and get, get it in your heart. It is so dangerous when Christians do not fill themselves with God's word. They don't read it. They don't listen to preaching and teaching. They're just not filled with the word. So what happens? They are a vehicle that God wants to use that has no fuel to get anywhere. But you can't be a vehicle of the kingdom with no fuel. And the word of God is the performance fuel for increase. God's word is the performance fuel for increase. Paul taught that. Acts 20, 32. Speaking to the Ephesian elders, Paul says, Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. The word, which is able to build you up, Paul said, and to give you your inheritance among all those that are sanctified. So two things that Paul teaches the word does to the Ephesian elders, it builds you up and gives you access to your inheritance. If you're among those that are sanctified, gives you access to your inheritance. So the fuel in my tank builds me up and gives me access to what's mine. Miracles, signs, wonders, it's mine. Healing, it's the children's bread, it's mine. Peace, it's mine. How does it come? It comes from the word of God. Knowing what is mine, knowing the will of God for my life. I gotta fill myself up. So uh, one of this, I would call this the preventative measure, right? For any bad report that may come. The word of God is the preventative measure so that I'm not waiting. I'm not waiting until something happens to get into the word, to get into prayer, to get into the presence of God. I'm not waiting. I'm gonna do it now. And I've got, I've got fuel. Hallelujah. I've got fuel. I'm ready to go. But remember, having faith produces an action. So that number two that we're talking about, have faith meaning speak the word. Speak the word. Glory to God. Speak the word. Number three. Let's go a little further with this. What's the third thing that you should do when you receive a bad report, what's the third thing that needs to be in your arsenal? This is, remember, I said at the beginning, this is not going to change. This is going to stay the same for the rest of your Christian life. 
no matter what. You can bank on these five things. Don't be afraid. Have faith, meaning speak the word. Speak the word. Speak the word. Now, that's, I've only shown you one passage. I can show you many where that's the case. If you believe it, you're going to speak it. Nobody goes around uh, claiming the things they don't believe. You know? They don't, they're not going around claiming, you know, unless you have some kind of a problem. You know, people, not in, that, in the natural. People say what they believe to be true, for the most part. People say what they believe to be true. I'll tell you, it's, it's rough out there. I'll tell you, man, it's, it's, a, it's a, man, it's, it's just a rough, rough climate. I'll tell you, people, you know why they're saying that? That's what they believe. I've had, you know how many pastors I've talked to, like, oh, Brother Ted, I know you're coming for revival, but let me just tell you, uh, it, you know, doing the work of the Lord's rough in this area of the country. It's rough in this region of America, man. People just aren't hungry around here. You know why they say stuff like that? They believe it's true. They believe it's true. What do you think? They're not lying about it. What do you think? There's like a pastor that's going to just like uh, lie and conf- just try to get people to believe it's hard? No. They believe that. Well, you know, we ain't got nobody coming. It's, it's just this, this part of the country is just really rough. And, and you know, funny thing is that makes me laugh. I've heard that from multiple pastors in multiple parts of the country. I've heard it from pastors in the South. I've heard it from pastors in the North. I've heard of pastors in Northeast, Southeast, Midwest, West Coast. Well, you know, brother, the West Coast is a rough, rough area to build a church. I'll tell you, people just aren't hungry out here. Then you hear from the South. I'll tell you, the South is a rough area. There's just so many churches and people aren't hungry because there's just, it's an oversaturation. You go to the Northeast, I'll tell you, it's like, a, it's like a graveyard up here, man. People just aren't hungry for God. It's hard. In this. And what is that? They're saying those things because they believe them to be true. Doesn't mean they are true. It means those people believe them to be true. Right? And so... When we don't have fear, when we have faith, we speak. We speak it because we know it's true. The truth of God's word is always over top of any report in the natural realm. I want, the, I want you to get that in. That's number two. Speak the word, Tasha, is number two. It's, it's how you have faith. Faith speaks the word. I've only given you one. I could take you to multiple where Jesus encourages, where the apostles encourage, right? Jesus. Uh, have faith in God. And then what does he say? If you read Mark 11, verses 20 through 20, uh, 22 through 25, what is Jesus saying? Have faith in God. And then what, what does he describe? If you speak to the mountain, if you speak to the mountain, wh- what, let me ask it to you this way. In what context did Jesus say, have faith in God? After he had cursed the fig tree and the disciples said, look, Lord, The fig tree you've cursed has withered and died. And then he says, have faith in God. And if you speak to the mountain, right? So what is is the whole context of the passage? Jesus had spoken something and it came to pass. The disciples were blown away. And Jesus said, no, have faith in God. And then he starts talking about what you speak. If you speak to the mountain, right? And then what does he say? What sort of things you desire when you pray? That's speaking. Prayer is speaking. You've got to speak something. Believe that you'll receive them. You shall have them. The whole context of the story, the command, and then the explanation is all speaking. The power of of your words. And what's that? Jesus is saying, have faith by speaking. Just like I just did, Jesus is saying. See? And so there's many, the, the apostles, 2 Corinthians 4. We believe, that's faith, therefore we speak. 
put that reference down quickly. 2 Corinthians 4, 13. And again, that's number two. That's number two. Have faith, meaning speak the word. If you have faith, you'll speak the word. I'm getting ready to give you number three in just a minute, but, but get this. If you have faith, you'll speak the word. We believe, therefore, we speak. We believe, therefore, we speak. That's a powerful understanding. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what's been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. You'll speak God's word, 2 Corinthians 4, 13. You'll speak God's word if you believe. If you have faith, you'll speak it. It's not just going to be like, I think I have faith. No, if you have faith, it's going to come out of your mouth. Amen. If I have faith, it'll come out of my mouth. If I have faith, it'll come out of my mouth. So that's number two. Don't fear. Have faith, which means speak the word. Here's another one that I find to be interesting, right? Not just that, but um, get into God's presence. It's number three. Get into God's presence. Well, you know, the benefit for Jairus was he was already in Jesus' presence. (laughs) Jesus is the one saying, don't fear, only believe. And here he is standing in the very presence of Jesus. But remember something. You got to get into God's presence. Got to get into God's presence. I, I like to take this from the Old Testament. Second Kings, and here's the woman who, uh, she built that house on, or I should say like an apartment on her house for the prophet of God. And anytime he passed through town, he stayed in that place. She furnished it. She fed him. They blessed him. He said, you're going to have a son. You're going to have a son. And she had a son did what her body could not do. Then her son dies in the field while he's out with his father working. She picks her son up, brings him back into the apartment she made for the prophet, right? Lays him there on the bed. And then what's the first thing she does? She's ready to go back to where the prophet is. I'm I'm getting ready to go see him. What's she doing? She's not getting bitter. She's saying, well, if that's the way this stuff works, then I'm never going to talk to a prophet again. I'm never going to get into the house of God again. I've, I've experienced church hurt. I've had prophet hurt. No, she got into God's presence. She went right back to where the prophet of God was. She was not satisfied with the way this thing finished up. That's my miracle son. My body couldn't even have babies. And now I got a baby. And now my son's grown up and now he's going to die in the field. I don't think so. Bad report. That's a bad report. She received a bad report. So what's she going to do? Notice, she spoke faith. So she's already operating in number one, don't fear. She's already operating in number two, speak faith. It is well. How is it with your son? It is well. No, he's dead in the natural. (laughs) It's not well with him. But what does she say? It is well. It is well. It is well. That means she's operating by number two, speaking faith. But notice, she's going to jump into number three now. And she's going to go find the prophet and get the, she's getting in God's presence. Remember, in the Old Testament, people could not, they didn't have God's presence living in them the way we do today. They were not the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwelled in them. That's not who they were. 
Their bodies weren't ready for that. They were not regenerated spirits. And so the prophet, even the prophet, uh, did not have the Holy Spirit dwelling in him. The, the, the Spirit of God would come upon the prophets and they would prophesy. And so she said, I'm going to get the prophet. I'm going to get the man of God. To them, that is what? The presence of God. And so uh, the Bible says that she goes, and as she's going, people keep asking her, all is well. She's saying, all is well, all is well. And when it was time, and I love, I love it, her husband, her husband's like, uh, why are you, um, why are you going to the man of God? You can see like how religious her husband was. Why are you going to the man of God? Uh, it's not new moon or Sabbath. It's not Easter or Christmas. Why are you going to church? <laughs> I don't understand why you go to church so much. Uh, why are you going to church? It's not Easter. It's not Christmas. What are you going to church for? Yeah, I need to get in the presence of God. <laughs> I, I was, I, I was uh, talking to a young lady who had been healed in one of our meetings. I mean, miraculously healed stuff that doctors weren't able to do for her. And um, after she got her double miracle, because she got healed of a brain tumor too, as, as well as the disease she had, after she got a double miracle, and I think she was still in high school at the time, and her boyfriend started getting like, I don't know what your deal is, you're going to church too much. Like, she's just had a double miracle with proof from the Boston Children's Hospital with MRIs. You've had a double miracle. And now, she, now her boyfriend's like, you know, I know you got your healing and everything. I know you got your miracle and everything, but I, I just feel like you're getting too much into this church thing. I think you're going to church too much. It's like, are you insane? And I love it. Her response, she broke up with him on the spot. <laughs> it was a great move. Very smart young lady. She's married now with children, I believe. But very smart young lady at the time. She broke up with him on the spot. What are you talking about? Uh, this is the God that healed my body, that did a creative miracle in my body. You say, I'm going to his house too much and praising him too much and worshiping him too much. You and I don't have anything in common. And so she broke up with him. Good move. That's how people are. Why are you going to church so much? Notice you're always in these revival meetings. How come you go to church every Sunday? How come you, you know, you can take some days off. That's how people are. I need the presence of God. I need to get into the presence of God. You'll say, well, why? Why do I need the presence of God so much? And why do I need it in the time when a bad report comes? I'll tell you, there's a couple of reasons why. There's a couple of reasons why. Uh, one of the reasons that we, um, that we need to be in God's presence so much, especially, that's why I don't understand. If people have a bad report come to them or they start going through stuff, why do they stay out of church? Why do, they, why do they stop praying? Why do they stay out of church? Why do they, you know, why do they slack off? They go through something and they slack off. You don't see them for six months. What, what is the story with that? It's because they don't understand the power of God's presence. And the enemy wants to keep people out of God's presence. But let me, let me just read you two verses from the psalmist that'll show you why we need to get into God's presence, right? Psalm 84, verses 10 and 11. For one day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Why? Verse 11 explains why. Because the Lord God is a sun and a shield, and he bestows favor 
and honor. And he doesn't hold any good thing back from those who walk uprightly. That's why I need to be in his presence. That's why one day in his courts is better than a thousand days anywhere else. It's because he can do what nobody else can do. He's a miracle worker. That's who our God is. That's who our God is. Right? And so I need to get into his presence. Furthermore, what happens when you're dealing with a bad report? It comes against your mind, as I said. And it's not just going to be a one-time thing. As you're dealing with this attack of the enemy, he'll continually try to put you in fear. Right? He'll continually try to put you in worry and depression and anxiety. What do you need? You need peace and you need joy. You need peace and you need joy. Where does that joy come from? Well, according to the psalmist, in God's presence is fullness of joy. Hallelujah. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. So according to the psalmist, that's one place joy comes from, God's presence. Why am I telling you that number three is we need to be in God's presence when we are dealing with a bad report? Because that's going to keep me in my joy. It's going to keep me in my peace. No question. It's going to keep me in my joy. It's going to keep me in my peace. And so I need to, number one, don't fear. Number two, for someone who just asked Chevy, uh, number two, have faith, meaning speak the word of God. Your faith will make you take an action. So don't fear, number one. Have faith, speak the word, number two. Number three, get into God's presence. Get into God's presence. You need to be there constantly. And that doesn't just mean going to church, but it does mean going to church. Get into the house of God every time the doors are open. But get into or activate his presence even when you're home. Even when you're home. Don't fear, speak the word only, and then get into God's presence. Let me, give you, let me give you another thing here. And this might seem simple, but people don't, I, I don't know why, like I said a moment ago, they start backing away from God's presence when they're going through something. That's when you should be uh, pressing into the God that can do anything. So what's number four? Number four is pray about it. So that sounds pretty basic. Yeah, but why don't people do it? Why don't people do it? You say, how do you know people don't do it? Well, the reason I know people, uh, for the most part, don't do it is because they've just finished um, another uh, poll of those in America, and the average American does not pray often. I was looking at religion in America. I was looking at the Bible in America. I was looking at prayer in America statistics. Um, Most Christians aren't reading their Bible every day, and most Christians aren't praying If they are, it's an average of about five minutes a day, according to the statistics. So, but most Christians are dealing with things, but why aren't they praying about it? You know, and and I don't want to say this, the early church, Jesus, I mean, they prayed like an hour a day because that's not realistic, brother. It's realistic that people are doing a lot of other things that are meaningless for an hour a day, right? Right. A lot of other things people are doing that are meaningless. I mean, think about just how much time we, we spend streaming things on, on streaming services. There's meaningless things we do. Just, you know, scrolling the phone, playing games on the phone, you know, whatever, social media. So there's a lot of other things. It's not like it's unrealistic. There's a lot of other things that we could replace that with prayer. And that was going to actually produce a harvest. 
But I want to see two things uh, that I want to show you. One's in James, one's in, in Philippians. But look at this for, for number four. Pray about it. Pray about it. Uh, the first one's in, in James chapter five. Listen to this. James says, in James 5, 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray about it. Let him pray about it. Is, and then let me look at verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. They'll pray over him. So you see that. Is anybody suffering? Pray about it. Is anybody sick? Call for the elders. They'll pray for you. So notice the answer, prayer. So that means if you're suffering, God doesn't want you suffering. Now, suffering persecution is a whole other thing. It's a whole other thing. But I'm talking about if you're suffering from something the devil's attacking you with, pray about it. Pray about it. If you're suffering with sickness, call for the elders of the church. They'll pray for you. That's the answer, according to the apostle. Now let me go over to Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. Look at this now. Uh, Philippians 4.4, 4, let's start in the fourth verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now look at verse 6 and 7. Here's, here's what I want to get into your spirit with number 4. Do not be anxious about anything. Well, we talked about that already. That's number 1. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Number 2, speak the word. That's your faith. Speak the word. Number three, get in his presence. But look at number four. Don't be anxious, but, but in everything, by prayer, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So there it is. With what? By, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. Look what will happen. Verse seven. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Did you see that? That's a benefit people forget about. You say, well, just pray, but they don't expect this. When I pray, God's peace will guard my heart and mind. Hallelujah. That's good. People forget all about that. They just think of prayers. I'm going to pray. God's going to answer my prayers. But you forget this. There is a, a residual effect that prayer has. That when you pray, then the peace of God. So peace comes out of prayer. Put that in the comments. Peace comes out of prayer. Peace comes out of prayer. Amen. Got a bad report? Pray about it. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. Peace comes out of prayer. It, I don't understand. People say, I, I, just, I, just, I feel like I have no peace. Are you praying? Are you praying? Are you praying? I don't mean five minutes a day. Are you pressing in in prayer? If it's important, you'll pray about it. And peace comes out of prayer. The peace of God will do what? Guard. That means peace is a guardian. Peace is a guardian. What's it doing? Keeping out anxiety, keeping out depression, keeping out uh, uh, anxiety and suicidal thoughts. and all. I mean, it keeps it out. It's a guardian that stands in front of your heart and stands in front of your mind. What is? Peace. 
Peace is a guardian that stands in front of your heart, stands in front of your mind, guards you. Peace comes out of prayer. So when you're dealing with a bad report, you got to pray. You got to pray. You don't fear. You speak the word. You get in God's presence and then you pray and you pray and you pray. Say, how, how will I know when I'm done praying? Keep on praying. Because prayer doesn't stop, even if the bad report turns around, you should be praying even when things are going amazing. Amen. You should be praying even when things are going amazing. Well, let's look at this final thing, because this is part of what we just looked at. Verse 4, Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Look at verse six. With prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Here's, an, here's one that almost nobody, you want to have a leg up on this. You want, you want the, like, the behind the scenes. This is it. Praise and thanksgiving. Praise and thanksgiving. Praise and thanksgiving. That's number five. Praise and thanksgiving. What do I do when I get a, a bad report? I pray about it and then I engage in praise and thanksgiving. Why would I do that? That is a sure sign of faith again. Because has it turned around yet? Maybe not. But you know what I'm doing? Praising God anyway, thanking God anyway, because it's already done. You know why? We believe we receive when we pray. When we pray. That's when I believe I receive. I don't believe I receive when I get the answer. Anybody can believe then. Faith people believe when they pray, like Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, verses 22 through 24. Believe you receive when you pray. So I'm going to rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to, by, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, I'm going to thank God and I'm going to praise God. I've talked about this before, how we'll, we can thank and praise God for what he's already done. Right? That's a command in Psalm 150. Praise him for his mighty acts of greatness. We can do that. But let's say what we can also do, move into the future. Praise and thank him for what he's going to do. Hallelujah. For what he's about to do. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to praise him and thank him that what I've prayed is going to come to pass quickly. I'm going to praise and thank him that what I've been confessing, what I've been declaring is going to come to pass quickly in Jesus' name and then he's going to get all the glory. He's going to get all the glory for what happens. Amen. Now, I'm going to give you a bonus, a bonus tip, a number six. I'm going to write it in now and I'm going to show it to you. For those of you that stuck it out this long, congratulations. I'm going to give you a bonus tip. And this is going to be found in the Old Testament. In the book of 2 Kings. And um, this is something almost nobody learns to do, but we need to learn to do this together as the Victory Tribe. We need to have this as part of our arsenal. Ben said, I love freebies. I love them too, Ben. I love them too. And so, uh, unofficially, this is number six, but, but keep this in your spirit. One of the things that 
separates those who are mature in Christ from those who are immature in Christ is what they're able to see and sense in the spirit realm. That's one of the things that separates the mature from the immature in the body of Christ. What they're able to see and sense in the supernatural realm. And so we see something here that I always, I drew a comparison. I don't have one with me. I don't need one, but I I touched on this in my book further faster because this is a very important point. When you look at the progression of prophets in the Old Testament, and I'll just touch on these, these two because we're, we're in that. You got Elijah, Elisha. And then remember this, Elisha was Elijah's servant and then eventually took over for Elijah. Elisha was Elijah's servant. Who was Elisha's servant? Gehazi. Gehazi. But notice something, Gehazi never took over for Elisha. In fact, his life ended poorly, ended in leprosy. And then, of course, he, he had greed and everything else. I mean, he, he, had, a rough, he had a rough time of it. So um, I want you to see the progression, though, because when Elijah was ready to go and Elisha was going to take over, he said, I want a double portion of your spirit. He said, you've asked a hard thing. However, if you see me when I go, you ready for this? If you see me when I go, that's a spiritual thing. That's a spiritual thing. Because he wasn't going to see the natural things that were happening. Remember, it was the angels. It was the chariot. Right? That's what he saw. That's what he saw. In fact, let me read you exactly what he said in 2 Kings 2.11. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elisha, Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven and Elisha saw it. He saw it. He saw it. And he cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. He saw into the spirit realm. What was he seeing? Chariots of fire and horses of fire. Chariots of fire, horses of fire. Here's a question for you. Did Elijah have to pray any kind of prayer over Elisha so that he could see chariots of fire and horses of fire? The answer is no. He didn't have to pray any kind of prayer over Elisha. Elisha was already hooked in to the prophetic flow. He was serving Elijah properly. He had that impartation properly. But we get now to 2 Kings 6, and we see the exact opposite thing taking place here. Because they're surrounded. Bad report. Again, bad report. Bad report. Bad report. An evil king has sent a battalion of soldiers to kill God's prophet, Elijah. Or Elisha, excuse me. And where is he? He's in the city of Dothan. And and notice what happens. The servant, Gehazi, he goes out the next day and he sees all these enemy soldiers and comes back in. And he says, alas, my master, what shall we do? This is 2 Kings 6, verse 15. He sees it, bad report. We're surrounded. We're going to die. They're here to kill us. What are we going to do? He's freaking out. He's freaking out. Why? Because he, unlike Elisha, when he was Elijah's servant, couldn't see in the spirit. Gehazi couldn't see in the spirit. 
Gehazi couldn't see in the spirit, but Elisha prayed a prayer and said, oh Lord, please open his eyes. And he saw, God did open his eyes and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. Isn't that interesting? The exact same things. So what came to get Elijah? Horses and chariots of fire. What was there in the mountains surrounding their enemies? Horses and chariots of fire. Same thing. Elisha, though, could just see them without being prayed for. Gehazi could not see them and had to be prayed for. Why? He could not see into the spirit. And notice the, the, um, the response. Because the prophet said, don't be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. So notice something. I'm not asking you to look into the spirit realm and see chariots and horses of fire. What I'm saying is you've got to be able to look beyond what's happening in the natural realm and know what's going on in the spiritual realm. How do you do that? You always look and see by the word of God, by God's written word. That's how you look beyond. So how does this look practically? How would you apply this practically in your life? I'll show you. You say, okay, I see a report in the, in the natural realm. It's a bad report. I just got back from the doctor. The doctor said they found this, this, and this in my body. Here is the enemy army surrounding the town. That's, that's my bad report. But I'm going to look past it. What am I going to see with prophetic vision that goes beyond the report of the doctor? I'm going to say, hold on though. I can see something else that's greater. What's greater? That my Bible says... What? That the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells inside my physical body and is quickening my physical body right now. I'm going to look beyond that report from the doctor and say what? By whose stripes I was healed. I already was healed 2,000 years ago. I'm looking beyond that report. My spiritual vision sees further than my natural vision. And I say, yeah, I understand that that's what they're saying the facts are, but let's talk about the truth. Let's talk about the truth, which changes the facts. The truth says, hold on, I, I not only have resurrection power living inside my body, but I also have a covenant with who? The great physician, with Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals me. I, I have that. That's greater. That's a greater view. That's a greater vision than to look at a paper that was printed out at a doctor's office explaining my diagnosis. That's greater. To look beyond that paper, look into God's word and say, hold on a second. I've got resurrection power flowing through my body. I've got a covenant with the great physician who is my healer. That's what it looks like practically to see in the spiritual realm. It's to see that God's words are greater than man's words. It's to see that God's ways are higher than man's ways, right? Isaiah chapter 55, verses eight and nine. The Bible, God is speaking there through the prophet, says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts, says the Lord. 
It's looking beyond what people say. It's looking beyond the economy. Well, brother, let me tell you, did you see what they said is going to be happening with the economy? Did you see, did you see what's going to be happening with the, the stock market, the Dow Jones? Did you see what's going to happen? Did you see cryptocurrencies down? Did you see all the stuff that's happening? They're saying we're in a recession, brother. I look beyond that and say, hold on a second. Do I not have access to the system of seed time and harvest? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And the Bible does not say that when I sow seed financially, that it can only come back in the form of a harvest if the economy is doing well. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't say that your seed can only return to you in the form of a harvest if you live in a nation that, where capitalism is flourishing. No, it doesn't say that at all. It doesn't say that at all. They weren't living in a democratic society in that way. They, weren't li they were not living. They had a king. They had a king, right? They had a ruler. In fact, if you look at the time of Christ, Caesar was actually occupying Jerusalem with Roman soldiers. So they were under a dictator. So you say, well, actually, uh, seed time and harvest only works where capitalism is flourishing under a democracy or a republic. No, that's not the case at all. That's not the case at all. So I look beyond. I don't care what the economy's doing. I don't care what the stock market's doing. I don't care what the real estate's doing. I don't care what, uh, if we're in a recession or if we're booming. Bear market, bull market, I don't care. Hallelujah. I don't, I don't live in a bear market or a bull market. I live in a blood market. A blood market. A blood market. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The blood of Jesus gave me access to covenant with God. I now have a covenant with Jehovah Jireh. I don't live in a bear market or a bull market. It's a blood market. It's a blood market. Amen. It's different. It's a blood market. The blood of Jesus gave me access to covenant with God. The covenant with God means I have covenant with the provider, with the creator Thank you, Jesus. That's just a bonus today because I wanted you to get it in your spirit. Look beyond the natural realm, look into the spirit realm and see what God's doing. See what God is doing. And I'm going to pray for those of you that are uh, maybe receiving. I, I, I know when I get these messages, I know people are dealing with stuff. I get it. We're believing for breakthrough and turnaround. This is our year of transformation in Jesus' name. Transformation in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And so I want to uh, I want to pray for those of you that are watching me and those that are listening on the podcast today and believe God that whatever bad report you received, your prayer requests are going to turn into praise reports quickly in Jesus' name. So Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus today. Very thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ. Very thankful for the power of the Holy Ghost. And so Lord, we ask you today in the mighty name of Jesus Every person that's been dealing with an attack of the devil, that's been praying, that's been asking you for turnarounds, for breakthroughs, I pray that today you would blow your breath on their home, their family, their body, their, their finances, their job, whatever it is they're believing for, and let this situation turn quickly. Bring answers to their prayers. I pray you give them peace of mind, joy in the Holy Ghost, in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you for that. We give you praise for it. And we thank you that today is our day of victory. This is our year of transformation in Jesus' mighty name. We give you glory and honor for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.